So, who wants to go first? I am up for either. Okay. I don't. Do you have a preference? Not particularly. Okay. I don't have a coin to flip, but there's a Scrabble tile on the desk that I could flip. What letter is it? It is A. A, okay. Um, so, uh, well, both of our names contain an A and in the same position, so that won't really tell us anything. Mm-hmm. Um, let's say, uh, let's say A is heads and, uh, heads will be you. Okay. So the, okay. And the blank would be you. Yeah. I'm flipping, I'm turning over and it is the A up. Mm. We said, I am, I am a heads. You are a heads. That's right. Yes. Um, I do English, so I can say what I want. Mm. Uh, heads. You you make you make English for a living. I make English. I was trying to think of a good verb. Yeah, I do English. I I am English. You work at the well, the Englishery. The, <laughs> the Englisherium. Mm, you are a haberdasher of language. Ooh, I like that. I'm gonna write that down. Put that on the CV. <laughs> Uh, which, for those of you who don't speak academia, is a resume. <laughs> it stands for resume. <laughs> <laughs> it's short for resume. That's right. <laughs> oh my god! Uh, this this C is in, is silent, just like in in czar. You are listening to Priority, a podcast about choices, limitations, and getting stuff done. Priority is hosted by Katie Leibman and her brother Max Leibman. That's me. Today's episode is entitled Emergency Novel. For complete show notes, including links to anything we discuss on the podcast today, visit us online at priority.fm slash 15. So what inspired this topic was... I'm slowly but surely catching up, um, getting back to real time, um, with one of our favorite podcasts, Back to Work. Uh, well, I'm still, ooh, I think I'm in January. Um, but what made me think of a topic for us for this, for this call was, um, something I was listening to in episode 203 of the Back to Work program with Merlin Mann and Dan Benjamin. Um, in the topic of that episode titled, I Blame the Media, um, Dan and Merlin were talking about um, a post that their friend Marco Arment had made on his personal blog um, that when he woke up the next day had turned into a media frenzy. Um, the post was criticizing Apple sort of overall um, for the speed at which it tries to update its products and create um, new products for its consumers without um, sort of paying full attention to the functionality of everything that they're pushing out. Um, So it was a critique of the company. Um, But lots of it got sort of sensationalized. Um, Every little harsh line got pulled out, um, usually out of context, but sometimes not so much. Um, And it turned into this huge frenzy, got more hits than any other post. Um, I think from the previous year, I think Marco said elsewhere. Um, so Dan and Merlin were talking about, um, what people like Marco and to an extent people like Dan and Merlin, what they trade when, um, their work goes out into the world without a lot of polish. 
Um, so in this case, something that um, Marco recognized in his post, as he said elsewhere um, in some follow-up writing, was that, you know, he had dashed it off on a Sunday night. He was sort of frustrated, although he did some editing of his own before he posted it. Um, he wasn't giving a lot of weight to the harshness of everything. And since then, um, has said, um, I'm just looking at the post he put up after, um, he said, I now need to write everything with the fear that any hastily written article might end up on TV with the most extreme word in the article singled out with my name on it forever. <laughs> um, <laughs> which is a little heavy. Um, and similar things too. Um, yeah, he writes, most of my posts go effectively nowhere, but occasionally one will expect unexpectedly go really far. And this blew past everything I've ever done. When that happens, there's no chance to revise, no room for error, and no way to stop it. Um, so what Dan and Merlin were talking about and what really struck me was um, the trade-offs that do come from any medium or any form of expression where the valuable part is what comes out when it's raw um, versus when it is sort of carefully crafted and, and reflected upon before it ever sees the light of day. Um, and everywhere in between, right? Those aren't, that's not a binary by any mm -hmm. means. Sure. Um, yeah. So that had me thinking about this idea of polish. Um, and I have another tack to it too, that I was thinking of, which is sort of another definition of polish. Um, but when I was typing out some notes and reflecting on that episode of back to work, I was thinking about this too. Um, the idea of polish as it's related to professionalism. Um, and that could be a lot of things that could be not just um, products like our written words or our spoken words that we create, um, but also how we carry ourselves in our work um, or even outside of our work, because for a lot of people who um, are in a spotlight of any type, uh, how you behave when you're not on the clock can make just as much difference as how you behave when you are on the clock, so to speak. Um, but maybe I'll, I'll pause and see how any of that strikes. Yeah. Uh, I like it. I like it all. Um, so a couple of meta notes right off the back. Um, the, uh, the article of Marco's that went sort of viral, which I instantly found because I was familiar <laughs> with the story at the time, even sure. before Dan and Merlin talked about it. Cause I also mm. follow, follow Marco Armand's work pretty closely, uh, was Apple has lost the functional high ground. And um, that will be in the show notes as well as that episode of Back to Work. Um, <clears throat> uh, Marco, I'll mention as well, he makes an, a uh, an app called Overcast, uh, which is a, a podcast client. And uh, I'll put that in show notes as well. I highly recommend it. It is my uh, listening platform of choice for podcasts. It's what I listen to virtually everything in. And uh, also it is how I get uh, for our show notes. If any of you listeners have ever ever visited the show notes, you'll see sometimes I will link to episodes of our podcast or even others. And I link to um, a web page that will start playing from exactly the right moment for mm -hmm. a given topic to come up. That is also a function of Overcast uh, by Marco Armand. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah, yeah. No, I, I picked up on this story, um, not because I think it's reflective of any of these humans as humans. Um, 
but just because of what it made me think of for mm-hmm. sure. Yeah. Oh, so yeah, thanks, yeah, yeah thanks for the, for the background. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, uh, the, and anyhow, all that, all that I wanted to say just cause I like plugging overcast. It's a, it's a good app. And also I think it's funny cause this is kind of a world's collide moment because, um, this is a story like I, you know, like I said, I was following this even before Dan and Merlin talked about it because I, I, I also listened to Marco's podcast, the accidental tech podcast, um, and uh, it's it's funny to me that of the two of us, you're the one bringing it up because it is, <laughs> I mean, it was on Back to Work, mm-hmm. but it's very much a tech story. You know? Right. Well, and it was, <laughs> what, four months ago already. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. <laughs> Which says a lot about <laughs> my ability to keep up and sure. with certain things. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it says that you have things to do in your life. <laughs> I know, that the spring nearly... <clears throat> murdered me <laughs> yeah um the other sort of meta note i have we'll have to see where this goes but um there are elements of what you've already said that shade dangerously close to my topic for next week so oh we that's hilarious be, we might just be collapsing both of the, these recording sessions into one <laughs> we'll <see. laughs> it could be two parts we'll yeah. we'll see we'll keep see the audience on tinder hooks we'll see how it goes so um and actually, you know, I think I might just, I, I think I might just throw in um, kind of the, the, the place where this topic touches the one I was planning for <laughs> next time and, and just throw that right in because it is the first thing that came to mind. Uh, and it kind of, I wasn't thinking of this example, but this is a good example of, of a place where, um, you know, these questions that I was thinking of become very relevant. Hmm. And the, the topic that I was kind of thinking of um, is, is how do you know when something is done? Um, how do you know Ooh. when a piece of work is, is ready? Um, you, when you mentioned the word polish, that's where I was, you know, up until then I was like, I think she's going to go, I think she's going to go into what I was going to talk about. I think she's going to go. <laughs> and then you said polish and I was like, uh-huh. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> <We're no. there." laughs> that was my word of choice for how to capture mm-hmm. this topic. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I, I do like that word. Um, my wife mm-hmm. has a business that's called polished. In fact. <laughs> so, um, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're big fans of that word in this household. Um, <clears throat> but yeah, it's. Um, one, one element that occurs to me here too, um, is something that I won't link to, um, because it doesn't exist anymore as far as I know, and I hope it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, but sort of a, a proto blog post I wrote like 15 or 16 years ago, um, for a site that is no longer online, um, about, uh, sort of about, about the role of, of creator and audience in terms of, in terms of work, um, and sort of a, a negative bill of rights, like things you do not have a right to, things that are not your privilege, as either somebody putting ideas out or somebody consuming them. Um, hmm. And it, it was uh, it was more framed in terms of, of um, comic books specifically, because that was kind of what I was into at the time. But I think it applies more broadly. And one of the things I said there, um, well, first of all, one of the things I said, uh, which is... <laughs> kind of mean, but I still believe to this day, and um, it still drives me kind of crazy when I see people violate it, is you don't have a right to an audience. No one has a right to an audience. Hmm. Um, And kind of the converse of that, if you put something out into the world, you also don't have a right to decide who the audience is. So so tell me more about what especially that first one means to you. Uh, The first one means to me, what the first one means to me is that uh, everyone is sovereign over their own attention. Um, mm-hmm. that that nobody's work is automatically entitled to any level of attention mm-hmm. from the public. Everyone has a right to put their ideas out there. No one has a right to make X number of other people look at it. Right. Is there an example you're thinking of, of when what it looks like when somebody does that? 
Well, uh, when somebody when somebody uh, runs afoul of that and is crying foul because they don't get an audience. Gotcha. Um, I think just anytime anybody has ever said like you know either my work or work X that I really enjoy um, isn't getting the attention it deserves. Hmm. Um, I, I think that's an example of that. Hmm. And it may it may be true. Like there are great works that do not get a whole lot of attention, mm-hmm. and there are really shitty ones that get a lot. But at the end of the day, whether or not the balance of who's paying attention to what is right, like no one has a right to an audience. Mm. You you have to earn yeah. that. You have yeah. to you have to earn it. You have to sell it. And at the end of the day, no matter how good whatever you're putting out is, no matter how important or how true, and no matter how much better or more important or more true it is than anything else, again, everyone else is sovereign over their own attention. Mm-hmm. You know, with the possible exception yeah. of, of government messages and emergencies, like you know. <laughs> you you sh- you should not have a means to compel people to read your novel unless you're teaching a class and in which case <laughs> that's a little weird that you're putting your novel in front of students as required reading. <laughs> what if it's an emergency novel? <laughs> Riddle me um, that, Max. But there's there's kind of a reverse idea there too. That's that's not kind of the the place where this becomes really interesting though. There's there's sort of a I for, I'm forgetting my terms and logic, but a a uh, converse or a contrapositive or something of that, a corollary of that, which is uh, more relevant in this case. And that is you also don't have a right to say who your audience is. Like you can, right. you can put on a book like for um, – I'll, I'll reference a line from uh, from the show we talked about last week, Unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt. Uh, when Kimmy accuses Zan of, of making up stories about a boyfriend based on a um, – was it a Babysitter's Club novel? <laughs> yes. Um <laughs> she says, you know, it's a novel for middle schoolers. And Zan protests and says, you know, those those novels are for 12 and up, Kimmy. And up. And up. <laughs> yeah, so trying you know, to stretch the audience and say, of right. course I'm in the audience. Of course it's appropriate for me to read it. And and a school or a bookstore or a library or a parent can try to enforce that. But if a, if a six-year-old is a very advanced reader and stumbles into one of those books and mm-hmm. is left unattended for a while, they're going to read some of that book. Um, similarly, like, you know, it's Scientology. I'll talk about Scientology for a moment. Um, (laughs) (laughs) there are a lot of very advanced texts and, and ideas in Scientology that they don't want the general public consuming. Um, Mm -hmm. I believe in some cases there's even warnings. Like if you read this before you're not ready for it, it will literally kill you. Um, good Lord. If one of those books gets out into the public though, if one of those documents gets out into the public, there's no there's no way to stop somebody right, from reading it, right. you know. Well, yeah, and this is what struck me in Marcus' follow up post about the aftermath of this thing. Um, yeah, like I said before, when that happens, there's no chance to revise, no room for error, and no way to stop it. Mm-hmm. I think that's that's the unspoken thing when you choose to put something out in the world. Um, you have at a point lost control, so right. Even if that product is as polished and as carefully measured as mm-hmm. you think it possibly could be, you have lost control when it is mm-hmm. when it is out in the Absolutely. public for consumption. Absolutely, I I think, um, and that's that was a, a one point that I, I had written down in my notes for my you know how do you know when something's done? One of the ways that something becomes done is it gets in front of the audience. And at that yeah. point, even mm-hmm. if you put out another edition, like uh, David Allen just released a new edition of Getting Things Done. There mm-hmm. are millions of copies of the old version, though. 
And for a lot of people, that's going to be the only version they ever read. Right. And and even if the old one goes out of print, and right now I think you can still buy both of them. I know you can still buy both of them physically. I think even digitally you can still get both of them. Mm-hmm. For a long time to come, people will still be buying and encountering the old one. Mm-hmm. You know? Mm-hmm. Um, that makes me think of... Ah, so I know I've, I've mentioned it um, in a previous episode. Um, you may take your drink. I'm going to mention writing centers. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a sort of canonical text in writing center literature. Um, I talked about in one episode in a previous discussion we had that <laughs> I read a piece of scholarship whose sole purpose was to track the life and <laughs> breadth of this one canonical article across other pieces of, of writing center literature and finding the vast number of, of, um, articles after the fact that cited this article. And it's just astounding. It's everywhere. Everybody mentions it. Mm-hmm. Um, now, was this just kind of a survey of where this thing pops up or did it go into, you know, how is it being interpreted? What is it using, being used to support? Yeah, both, both. Okay. So, um, it would be what, yeah, what type of idea were they pulling and trying to support? Um, but also just sheer mentions, you know, a tally. Mm-hmm. Sure. And the, the reason I asked that specifically is I'm wondering, in, in some cases, like, did it take on a life of its own? Were there interpretations of it? You know, did this paper go into whether or not the interpretations being made of it were apt or not? Yeah, well, part of it was that there's one particular line. So I'll go ahead and I'll explain a little bit. Um, the article is... Stephen North's um, The Idea of a Writing Center from, I believe, 1984. Um, and this single article is what gets mentioned again and again and again in scholarship. Um, in particular, um, and this is one of the things I think the authors were looking at, and I can provide it in show notes, um, was were people just sort of plugging in one of the central mantras of this piece, um, or were they using other quotations? How were they structuring them? How were they using them? Um, one of the big takeaways, and again, sort of mantras in the field that were, that was made popular by this article, um, is the idea of writing centers making better writers, not better Mm -hmm. pieces of writing. So -hmm. that phrase, better writers, better writing, um, is credited to this article and, um, repeated almost to the point of cliche, um, across scholarship. Um, although there are many more subtle and more nuanced ideas throughout the thing, that's the main one that gets pulled out. Um, Mm -hmm. teaching, teaching a man how to fish, not what to fish. Wait, wait, let me start over. Uh, yeah. How to fish, not how to, (laughs) not editing the paper. (laughs) Yes. Don't edit the fish. Learn how to fish. That's right. Um, As as Abraham Lincoln so well put. <laughs> yes, I think it was Shakespeare. Shakespeare, the great fisherman of our time. Um, I will make you fishers of men, as Mark Twain said. <laughs> he did like fishing up and down the river. Um, yes, it's the same sort of thing. Um, that well, kind of similarly. This is sort of funny. So the tone of that initial article. Um, was very much, it was very much coming from a place of frustration. Um, Stephen North was sort of railing against um, the way that although writing centers were really sort of taking off and people were becoming more familiar with them um, in academia and higher education, um, 
He had had so many frustrating experiences with faculty, but especially other English faculty who sort of misunderstood the purpose of the writing center um, on his campus and others. Um, so it was very much written with a sort of harsh tone and very much uh, fed up with the state of things as they were. Um, <laughs> and then I was thinking, and because it's scholarship and not the internet, no one really noticed. <laughs> but that's not, <laughs> that's not true. People noticed. Um, and some of the frustrations he was talking about in 1984 are still true today. Um, writing centers are spaces that are sort of misunderstood, I think, generally, um, by people who don't use them and don't know what goes on in the, inside their, their four walls. Um, but I think, I can't remember what year, um, Stephen North actually wrote a follow-up article called Revisiting the Idea, um, in which he sort of clarified and, um, it wasn't so much to, in the way that Marco's post right after his post, um, was reflecting, this was many years later, um, and he wasn't just clarifying. He had also sort of changed his his tune on some things in particular um, in the follow-up article. Um, but like what you were saying, it's not that when you are, even if you're able to make a gesture like that, you're never undoing or getting rid of the traces of whatever that initial creation right. was. Like you right. can you can make people think about it in a different way. But it's still out there. Right. Well, and, and again, you can make people think about it in a different way if you can get their attention again, which, mm. which once again, you do not have a right to. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and even if you did have a right to, you don't have a mechanism to compel. Mm-hmm. You know, even if we were to argue, um, well, you know, uh, Beth's novel is more important and does more good for women than Fifty Shades of Grey does. So therefore, it has a right to more attention. There's no way to make that happen. Well, and side note, I hope that most novels do. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty sure most novels do. Um, in fact, both of those things. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> including probably a few, you know, manuals for misogynists. Um <laughs> Oh my god! Uh, yes, because they won't mislead people into thinking that this exactly. is a, a good there's representation no, there's of no, there's no any stealth. healthy community. Right, anyway. right. People will know <laughs> what they're getting into and going with the appropriate filter. Yeah, um, with their guard up. Anyhow, uh, <laughs> yeah, I, um, yeah, yeah, totally. You can go back and and revise. You know, you can do a George Lucas and and change what you said originally, <laughs> but. That doesn't undo the fact that that your first work is still out there, and mm-hmm. and that's um, it, uh, it. I'm reminded of another point made in that same, you know, the 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 rights or lack thereof of creators and and um, consumers uh, back in the day. Um, one of the one of the points that I made there as well um, was another right that a creator of a work didn't have. You don't have a right to the interpretation of your work. Um, mm-hmm. You know, you don't get to dictate what the conversation about your work is. And I think anybody who, who you know, would argue with that, <laughs> again, even if you're, even if you believe you still should, even if you mm-hmm. believe your intent matters more than what people think your intent was, um, again, what mechanism do you have to enforce that? Like, right. try telling any celebrity or politician or business <laughs> leader who has ever accidentally said something terribly racist or, or sexist in public how easy it is to change the interpretation of your words, you know, to, to right. communicate what you think your intent was. 
Well, and basically in so many of those situations, even if they were completely misunderstood, taken out of context, whatever, and they did not mean what it sounded like they meant, mm-hmm. there is no appropriate really public response except to apologize and move on. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. totally. in so many situations, it makes the speaker look so much worse if they do try to justify what was said. Right. Which right. sucks, you're, because you're sometimes, either, yeah. You're either appearing to backpedal or, um, <laughs> you know, in some of the worst cases, to, to try to excuse something that on its face at least clearly is inappropriate. Right, right. Yeah, so I hear what you're saying, and I'm trying to think of how to say this and maybe it's just that you you're saying it so forcefully so that just brings out my my mm-hmm. devil's advocate streak oh sure no <laughs> like and, people and, should not um... and by all means i mean this was at a time when uh, these are issues i have wrestled with much less than you have in in an academic or professional context and this is my thinking on them from 16 years ago so no no no, no you're <laughs> by fine. all means i, um... I feel I, I will take no offense if you argue with them <laughs> you do you max you do you um <laughs> No, I guess the counter that I'm thinking of is that, um, and I'm thinking of types of things that I talk to my students about and I talk to my colleagues about, um, that I think it is still helpful to society to feel like you ought to be a responsible reader. Mm-hmm. Oh, you know? no, I'll, I'll agree with that entirely. Yeah. So, um, like, it is extremely unfortunate when... Um, people do not find out all the details. They do not investigate a situation enough to make mm-hmm. um, a responsible claim about what someone has or has not said or mm-hmm. or has or has not done. Um, I find that frustrating to no end when there sure. is readily available information, but people keep sharing and resharing the same right trite, horrible explanations um, (laughs) without investigating what's true and what's not. Totally. Um, Super frustrating. And, and, mm -hmm. you know, in that case, I would even go so far as to say that behavior is, is, is wrong is um, it is. If you are not relatively certain of the veracity of something, you shouldn't be resharing it just because, you know, you assume it's true because you read it. You know, and right. and you should be a thoughtful consumer of these things when they come to you. Absolutely, I would I would totally agree with that. Mm-hmm. Um, but the the person who puts an idea out there or didn't put an idea out there in the case <laughs> of something that's badly misinterpreted, um, you know, as that person, if you're going to speak things into a public sphere, um, you know, that's my forcefulness comes from from just again the simple fact that you you do not automatically. Uh, by forming an idea, command any any level of attention and any any ability to decide what people are going to decide about what you put out there. Mm-hmm. You know, again, everyone else is going to be sovereign over their attention and their interpretation of what you do, mm-hmm. and that's that's not to say that that what they do with it is right. You know, that everyone's got a right, right. to their own interpretation and mm-hmm. to that interpretation being reality in some important sense. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you uh, oh gosh, there's a quote that I'm forgetting right now like you have a right to your opinion but not a right to your own facts um, mm. you know i think that's i think that's absolutely true but mm-hmm. at the same time like on the especially on the opinion side i mean there's really i don't know there's no there's no policing that and once an idea is out there there's no putting any of these mm-hmm. genies back in any bottles <laughs> thank you christina aguilera <laughs> what were we just saying what was the quotation Oh, um, you have a right to your own opinion, but not to your own facts. Oh, okay, okay. 
something in there made me think about, and maybe I've brought this up before. It seems to be on my mind. Um, one of my go-to examples when, um, that person from the duck dynasty thing, um, said something homophobic and A&E briefly canceled his show, but then public outcry apparently caused A&E to change their minds and bring him back. Um, something that drove me nuts in that situation was how often people cried first amendment rights being Mm -hmm. infringed upon. Yes. And this, have I brought this up before? I can't remember. I don't think we've talked about this on the podcast. We may have Um, talked about this elsewhere and I have, I have have something to say about this, but (laughs) go ahead and finish your point. (laughs) And it is your right to do so. (laughs) The government cannot jail you for doing so. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, but the thing that got me was, so people were crying that his, his constitutional rights, his free rights were being infringed upon because Mm -hmm. the, the, the program, or rather the, mm, what's the word? What is any channel? What? Yeah. Whatever. Yeah, well, we can say channel. Channel. Network. Wanted, chan- the network. Thank you. The network wanted to cancel his program because of it. Um, so the outcry was, oh, but he had a right to say that. He had a right to say that. Um, mm-hmm. And it that conversation was so blurred by that misunderstanding of what the First Amendment um, mm-hmm. allows us. Um, that it completely ignored the fact that as a public figure, so to speak, um, under contract with a network, (laughs) that there could be consequences for his behavior involving words that he says, that the words he he could say could affect his position, Mm -hmm. that people, that that never crossed anyone's mind. And I'm talking about the people who were, who grossly misunderstood the situation and what, what was and was not fair in this mm-hmm. scenario. Um, it just drove me bonkers that people think that the right to free speech means that there are no consequences for what you choose to say. Mm-hmm. Yes, <laughs> just, absolutely. It's baffling. It's, it's um, <laughs> first of all, I think this, I think the, the, the um, uh, exasperation you're expressing kind of backs up the things that I was saying earlier from, from my essay from way back when mm. about, about audience in that, um, you know, once, once his remarks were out there, he had no control over where they went over what anybody thought about them and over what anybody else did about them. Right. Um, and that is, that is the way it works. Like free speech means the government can't come in and tell you, you can't say certain things. Correct. Um, it does not mean no one else in the world can react to what you say or form opinions based <laughs> on what you say. Yeah. That's, that's not the meaning of free speech. Um, you can't yell at me. The government says so. (laughs) I have a completely non-priority esque point about that entire controversy though, that I would like to make. (gasps) Yes, please. (laughs) This is when we were first talking about doing the podcast, this is the kind of issue that made me think like, you know, maybe we don't want to do like a work productivity kind of thing. Maybe we should just talk about everything because this is some of the everything I want to talk about. So, um, (laughs) so. Uh, like a decade ago, we had a president in office, uh, from the great state of Texas named George W. Bush, um, who got us involved in various wars and, uh, was initially very unpopular with a certain far to the left segment of the population. And over time, um, a lot more people joined them in their dissatisfaction with him. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the early sort of celebrity outbursts against the president that I recall being very controversial was, the Dixie Chicks. 
Um, who, oh yeah, yeah. I, if I'm if memory serves, I'll link to I'll link to um, some actual facts about this later. <laughs> I do not have a right to my own facts. Um, I'll put those in show notes if anybody's curious and wants to to check my history and see how badly I'm misremembering this. But I believe they said something like they they apologized on behalf of America to to a you know an audience overseas at a concert and said they were uh, embarrassed by the president, something like uh, that. I, yeah, I can't remember exactly, but at least our collective memory is. Indicating it was something like that. In, yeah, in, embarrassed by the president, and and you know might have said he was dumb. I I don't know. Um, mm-hmm. In any event, and it was it was you know well after the invasion of Iraq, if if memory serves. Um, but kind of before the entire country had kind of gone. Okay, this is a mess. This guy, you know, get him out of here. Um, change we can believe in. Come on, let's <laughs> go. Uh, and and they were the Dixie Chicks were widely um, and wildly decried for this. And mm-hmm. now I want to what I'm about to say. I want to be very clear. Some of what happened in the aftermath of that were things like death threats, and I do not think that was at all appropriate or defend that at all. That's not what I'm talking about. Um, I, I'm not I'm not going to say anything about about those. Those were wrong. You should not threaten people's lives based on what they say. Right. Um, I think that's that's crazy cakes. Um, in the aftermath of those comments, uh, and, and they actually have a song about this on the, on the next album they released afterwards, there was a lot of backlash, uh, some of which included things like uh, concert venues pulling out and saying, you know, we're, we're canceling your show. Mm-hmm. Uh, some of which were things like radio stations saying, we're not going to play you anymore. Mm-hmm. And there was a lot of counter commentary to that. People, you know, on, on the left and moderates and probably even a few conservatives saying, hey, whoa, 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 whoa. Free speech. You know, they you, you can't do this. You're imperiling their livelihood. You're making it, you know, you're <laughs> uh. they, they they use their, you know, their presence on stage to express a valid public, you know, political opinion. And now you're you're punishing them economically and, and threatening their livelihood. You can't do that. Free speech. Mm-hmm. Um I I would I would bet, I would bet if we were to find everyone in the country saying that at the time and follow them. A goodly number of them were on the reverse side of that same <laughs> argument when Duck Dynasty came around and said, "No, no, no, mm. that's not what the First Amendment means." Oh my! There's goodness. there's consequences to free speech. Mm-hmm. You know. So mm-hmm. anyhow, that's my only point is there were way too many people saying no free speech, free speech when it was when the the Dixie Chick was on the other. Wait. Um, <laughs> Let me start over. <laughs> but yeah, anyhow, that's that's something that drives me kind of crazy is these that specific controversy and a lot like it, it's not the only example of that, but a lot of that kind of controversy, you know, you watch the political waters flow back and forth and mm-hmm. everybody's up in arms about it when it's one side, but when it's the other side doing it, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so. No, thanks for bringing that up because <laughs> I do think of this Duck Dynasty thing so often. Um mm-hmm. Yeah, and and I also want to say I am uh, in in at the time I was not quite in the same place as the Dixie Chicks, but in retrospect, I think they were right, and I'm glad they said what they did. <laughs> yeah, no. So while you were explaining, um, I googled Dixie Chicks, just the band mm-hmm. name. The third hit was <laughs> about the that incident. Right. Um, but yeah, was, I mean, it was it was a huge yeah. deal. It was a, mm-hmm. a huge yeah. turning point in their career. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and again, yes, I don't want I don't want to say I don't want to say any of the threats against them 
were appropriate. I don't want no, to say any no, no, no. public commentary. I don't. Re- I don't recall anybody doing mm-hmm. this. But if anybody was using like you know inappropriate, um, you know the various mean names we have for women in our culture, mm-hmm. saying that about them, I don't want to defend any of that. What I am saying is <laughs> mm-hmm. that it is not different to cancel their concert or not play their music or not sell their records in your store based on those comments. That's no different mm-hmm. from A&E saying we're not going to have Duck Dynasty guy on because well, he said something racist. Yeah, and isn't it interesting, sort of like you said, the the tide of public opinion, I think, in so many ways shapes people's reactions to these things mm-hmm. because it's not, it's not necessarily that a lot of the things I heard um, – just from friends of friends on Facebook and things like that. Um, It's not that people were coming out and saying, yeah, I'm with him. Homosexuals are horrible. You know, Mm -hmm. like no one was claiming that I heard. Is that what it was? Yeah. In my my memory, I was thinking it was racism. Well, I mean. (laughs) It shows how closely I'm following Duck Dynasty. No, I think you pretty much got it. I mean, that's my impression (laughs) is that they are. Yeah sort of hateful people. Okay, yeah, I'm looking I'm looking at articles now. Okay. Um, yeah, I do. Okay, I remember this. Yeah, and I can't remember the language exactly, but um Duck Dynasty homophobia. Let's <laughs> find out. <laughs> yeah, there probably is branded Duck Dynasty homophobia. I mean, oh they've, they've got couches and lampshades and jackets and everything else, so. Mm-hmm. I'll bet um, you could order some Duck Dynasty homophobia on the web. Oh my god. Yeah, that sounds like a great SNL skit or something. Um, get your, your <laughs> bargain bin jar of, of Duck Dynasty homophobia. Uh, order, order a Duck Dynasty, a box of uh, Duck Dynasty brand patriarchy. Yes, you get a free bandana with, with enough orders. Um, yes, 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 yes. So anyway, so when people were rushing to his defense, um, or whatever, um, it's not from what I heard, and I'm sure there were people who were because there are way too many homophobic people just in existence. <laughs> but it wasn't that people were outrightly saying, no, I'm with him. Like, homophobia is the best. Um, <laughs> it's that people were saying, no, that's silly. Why is his show in danger because of something he said? And I think mm-hmm. he said it off the show. I don't think it was, I think it was mm-hmm. in passing, sort of off the clock, you could say. Um, but yeah 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 well and i mean off the clock i yeah that's another thing with this with this um, whole topic to maybe tie it back a little bit to an earlier episode of priority when we talked about audience mm-hmm. um uh, one of the things i said then that was was and, and maybe this will help us tie this back into sort of work related thinking you know normal priority topics um, one of the things I said then was it's important to remember that even if you don't know who it is or when they're going to see it, it's important to assume your work could have an audience. Mm-hmm. And that's that's something you'll see a lot in in corporate life now. Most most jobs, or you know, either either in the employee handbook or or you know the policies and procedures of the company somewhere, there will be some sort of clause saying like, look, things you say and do off the clock still reflect on the company. Um, you know, so right. you can still be held accountable for. And, and mm-hmm. you know, there are examples of it, uh, you know, uh, out in the world. There was, oh, now I'm, this is going to be the episode of us Googling news stories. <laughs> that happened. There was a, there was a woman last year who um, was making uh, off-color jokes about Africa uh, huh. on Twitter before she got on a plane for Africa. <gasps> and yes, then her tweets a journalist. Went viral. 
Yeah. Uh, was it a journalist or was she a social media um, specialist? <laughs> Aren't uh, they sort of the same? Um, <laughs> today. Mm. Um, yeah, no, I know you're talking about, though. She's yeah. some sort of correspondent, I would has, say. There was the, the, has somebody landed yet? Uh, oh, was her name? Justine Sacco, PR executive. Okay, yeah, P- PR. Yeah, there's the journalism confusion. <laughs> it's a P- She's a PR executive, and I think social media, and you think journalism. <gasps> oh, my God. Okay, so if it's the one we're thinking of, this was uh, December of 2013. Going to Africa. Hope I don't get AIDS. Just kidding. That's I'm the white. one I'm thinking of. Oh yep, my god. Yep, yeah. Yep. 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 Yeah. Yikes. Yeah. And, <laughs> whew, um, yikes. 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 And yeah. It, now I I would I would you know in that case like talk about talk about right to interpretation. I would even say depending on depending on what her tweets are usually like and what her audience actually knows about her and what she means by things like that. Mm-hmm. Like, is she being completely ironic, like deliberately playing, you know, is she, is she playing the role of the bumbling comedian making that joke? You know, saying, yeah. I would never say this, but somebody would. So I'm going to ironically make the joke, you know, so right. we're that idiot who would. And if that's something she does all the time and her audience recognizes that, but then this one goes viral and we all see it, that's a little bit un- more unfortunate than than you know if she just thought that was funny and now she's fired for it. And she's supposed um, to be a PR person, right? Right. <laughs> but either way, either way though, yeah. Regardless, mm-hmm. regardless of her intent, regardless of how she normally conducts her Twitter, regardless of how sincere or insincere she was about it, right. The fact of the matter is, it should have occurred to her at some point that she could have an audience beyond people who knew her and knew her humor. And that that kind right. of thing could have repercussions. Right, right, right. Um, and that's that's kind of going back to the right to the audience or right to control the audience thing. You know, it's it's important whatever you're doing, uh, whether it's something, you know, mostly public like what we're doing here or even just, you know, your random conversation in, in a grocery store or bookstore with a friend. Mm-hmm. Um, it's important to remember you could have an audience in that moment. Right. And once you do, you don't really have any control over what they do with whatever they see. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I think that's where the definition of polish sort of leaks over into the idea of professionalism, too. Um, yeah, yeah, I was purposely using that language on the clock and off the clock. Um, because in a lot of ways, that's <laughs> sometimes that's not a thing. There, mm-hmm. it, is all, it is all on the clock. It is all right. present. You are always present in your different parts of your identity mm-hmm. um yeah it makes me think of a couple of things um when um we travel when i travel with the competitive speech team um we're staying in hotels all across the country all across the midwest um but often teams from other schools will be staying in the same places just for proximity to campuses or whatever sure. um so we have that conversation before we get out of the vans we say okay remember we think so-and-so is also staying here. So obviously we can't be the, the students running up and down the hallways at midnight and, you know, wreaking mm-hmm. havoc. Like that sure. reflects poorly on the school. Um, <laughs> or if, if you were a, a competitive speech team in a movie, um, you, you would also <laughs> be worried that they're going to steal your material. <laughs> I'm picturing bring it on, but speech style. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yeah. It's already been berotten. It's already been spoken. <laughs> Nen. <laughs> it's already yes. been interpreted. 
interpreted. Yes. Very good. Nice. Mm. <laughs> um, but yeah, we're always on the clock. Um, yeah, you, yeah, you don't have a right to an audience and you don't have a right. I won't say you don't have a right to privacy because I, I, I don't know. Increasingly, increasingly, <laughs> that's, okay. that's yeah. In, I know, I know what you that's, mean. Though. That's a, a whole different set of hot topics. But like you know, um, in in a lot of contexts, like you don't. Uh, there are contexts in which you you definitely don't have a right to privacy. I don't think you have a right to privacy on Twitter. You know, Justine's <laughs> tweet should have you know could could have blown up and should have blown yes. up. And there's no way for her to say, well, that was just meant for my friends. And that's right. that's actually going back to um going back to the right to interpretation, like, you know, you can't control what people think of it. So many times when we have these like off color things or people say something into a mic that's hot and they don't know it, um, you know, the, one of the first knee jerk excuses is, well, I mean, that was intended for my friend. That wasn't, you know, you're, you're out of context. Like that was just, it was part of the conversation with my friend who was right there. And it's like, well, okay, "Eh." so you said something horrible and racist to your friends, you know, and you got caught. How is that the, better? The problem, the problem you've just expressed is that you're getting caught, not that what you said was wrong. Right, right, you know? which happens. I mean, that's how people... Oh, totally happens. That's the only excuse totally there happens. is, is no, 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 I'm yeah. only an asshole when I'm not on, on the air. Right. Um, you weren't supposed to know. Yeah, um, and it's, um, you know, mm-hmm. it's talking, talking about polish, like, in a lot of cases, depending on what you're doing and who you're doing it with... Um, what what kind of medium you're working in or if you're just having a conversation like you're you know if if you are very careful about keeping track of who's around when you're conversing or who can see what you're working on before you're ready to release it you can have everything super polished um, mm-hmm. but we're living in an age where an awful lot of stuff is going to get out into the world without any polish at all mm-hmm. you know how many of us on our worst hair day are in the background <laughs> of somebody's you know 10 somebody's instagram photos <laughs> Um, and you know, <laughs> nobody's probably going to notice that. Mm. Oh, look, there's Katie mm-hmm. and her hair is sticking straight up like Bride of Frankenstein. I thought maybe you were speaking from experience, like that's happened to you or something, or you've been in pictures of Courtney's or something. I don't have enough hair to really differentiate good and bad hair days. <laughs> oh, <laughs> wah, wah. Um, yeah. <sighs> if you're, if you're, Putting and one of the problems that Marco had with this blog post, you know, he mentions he did a little editing on it and then he put it out there. Um, if he had known, if he had known, he wouldn't have posted it. Um, but if he had known that all that was going to happen and he still wanted to post it, he would have put more polish on it. You know, and I think I think so many media like Twitter and Facebook don't encourage us to polish our work. Um, well, in the that way case, that we would for a newspaper editorial. Sure, and in that. The the way you used it there, I was thinking more about a word like distance or perspective. Mm. You know, Ooh. maybe he would have taken... It's not that he would have made the prose cleaner. I think he would have thought more about audience and perspective, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. which would have required distance because I think sort of like I was talking about the, the Writing Center article, um, when you're in the heat of a frustration or a critique or something... Um, that carries it, that carries your content. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah, but maybe it wouldn't have been as charged with a little more distance. Yeah, oh, um, for sure, for yeah. sure. Um, and another thing that's funny, talking about the distinction between media, another thing funny, kind of funny in that, he might have mentioned this in the follow-up post. I don't I don't recall it. You've read it more recently than I have. Um, 
But one thing, a point he's made, and I think Merlin made it, and certainly um, he and his co-hosts have made it on uh, on ATP, on the Accidental Tech Podcast, uh, since this thing blew up. Mm-hmm. Everything he was saying there were things he'd been saying on ATP for a year. <laughs> it's just that the podcast, like a podcast's audience is very different from a, a, the audience of a piece of text. Mm-hmm. The audio is not searchable. Mm-hmm. You know, nobody Googling for certain keywords is going to find minute 53, second 22 of accidental tech podcast number 106. Mm-hmm. Someday, you know, maybe. Someday, maybe. Oh, for sure, someday. I, that's coming. I mean, there's, there's no, no two ways about it. Eventually, um, Google and other companies will develop good enough, you know, voice recognition. They're going to, mm-hmm. they're going to, going to robot transcribe all of these hours of audio on the internet and, and index them all, I am sure. That's really um, exciting to me, by the way. <laughs> it's it's exciting and scary to me. Courtney and I talked about getting transcripts of this, and I'm a little nervous about it because <laughs> actually the reason I'm nervous is this article of Marco's. This is what yeah, started me yeah. thinking about it. Is uh-huh. you know it it becomes you know uh, I, I, I mentioned Marco's own podcast app that he makes, uh, Overcast facilitates sharing specific segments of audio. Right. Um, but that's not a widespread, widely used feature. It's not easy to share a, the controversial minute of a podcast. It's super easy to share a blog post that's a few hundred words long. Right, you just click. Yeah, there's a link and the whole thing you can read in a minute or two. Search the you page. Know, you yeah. can quote the exact segment without listening a couple times through and you know rapidly typing and transcribing it yourself. Right. Um, yeah, it's for all kinds of reasons. Uh, <laughs> podcasting is a safer medium in a lot of ways <laughs> to say things semi-controversial or that will be taken out of context mm-hmm. because somebody coming to it by definition is part of your audience. Like no one's going to accidentally walk into minute 33 of this. Um, somebody could stumble into his blog post though. Duck, or... it's minute 33. <laughs> yeah. If we're on minute 33, then something's gone wrong with my recording equipment. <laughs> wrong. So... So one of the reasons I want to talk, wanted to talk about this, and this might be a sort of good bridge to open up this topic, is uh, so so far we've been talking about what happens in the consequences of um, lack of polish when something goes out raw or heated or um, <laughs> that maybe you wouldn't have intended to even get to an audience, but is now out in the world. Mm-hmm. Um, the flip side of that that I was thinking about was that media like podcasts or live interviews or people's personal blogs or Twitter accounts where they are updating constantly. It really is fresh out of their, out of their minds. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah. A lot of blogs are out of their minds, out of their minds, man. Um, While that can be really risky for all the things we're talking about when you say something sort of offhand, or maybe you really are just an, and you say something and it gets out and more people find out you're an asshole. that happens um but the flip side of that the exciting part for me is that all these different forums are so exciting also so when we are creating these episodes we are two people having the discussion um and we do have an audience but the sort of joy and excitement is we say things out loud to each other and then the other person reacts. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? Right. So like, um, and I think about this with teaching too. Um, I can plan down to the minute how I would like a class to go or how I envision it going, what my mm-hmm. sort of roadmap is. But it's not until we get the other live humans, the students in the room, 
and they start reacting and we start mm-hmm. interacting that I find out what the possibilities for that class are. Totally. As, um, I, as I said in episode number three, <laughs> education is always a surprise. <laughs> yes, yes, yes. Um, but I think that's the flip side of all this is maybe that means that these spaces are high risk, high reward, because there are big consequences for when a live conversation goes off the rails or um, something that is harsh and critical, but maybe also true gets taken out of context or sensationalized. Yeah. So high risk, high reward is kind of what I was. Yeah. Yeah. The opportunity to discover something new or create a neat little turn of phrase or make a good joke or find a new thought or have a productive conversation always also comes with the risk of all of these things that we've said, you know, that mm-hmm. it's, it, there's, there's no, you know, no risk, no reward. Like if you are completely <laughs> safe, if you are exploring only ideas that you know will land properly and be understood right and are, are completely clearly communicated every time, then, I mean, you're, you're basically doing technical writing and you're probably not going to discover anything wondrous and new. Mm-hmm. But on the other hand, nobody's going to read the manual for how to put together the desk and think that you're a racist asshole. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if you want people finding out you're an asshole in the desk <laughs> instructions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're. Hey. <laughs> there are a lot more exciting venues than the instruction manual for revealing you're an asshole. Yeah, I should hope so. Um, you know, on the other hand, though, a conversation... Um, you you have the opportunity, you know, maybe you've got the opportunity, going back to the idea of like the, the thing that you just meant for your buddies that, mm-hmm. that somehow gets out. You know, you're wearing a hot mic and don't realize it or whatever. You know, you're overheard when you <laughs> didn't mean to be. Um, you you have the opportunity to, you know, bond with your friends and make them laugh. But you also have the risk of if your joke is off color, it might go further than you intended. Um, if you're having a conversation in a podcast, you have the opportunity to, you know, find something new and interesting and different. You, to, your, to your point about conversation, what makes this medium work? I mean, I, um, I, I had, I've only really had one discussion with people that, that we both don't know very well about the podcast. And, mm-hmm. But the point I made there was, like, it's not really uh, – because they were – I think they were having a hard time getting their head around what the podcast was about and how our experiences sort of related to that. And huh. the thing I was saying was it's not really about, like, what Katie knows and what I know. The podcast isn't isn't either or even both of us. The podcast is what happens between us, you know. Yeah. The podcast is the exchange and – the conversation and it going places we didn't expect. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's, it's, you know, and, and something like this blog post that Marco wrote, you know, the opportunity was to express something that is more or less true. Um, maybe not quite to the extent he thinks it is, or maybe even further. And maybe the examples he cites are not the best examples, or maybe they are. Uh, <laughs> but the basic, the basic argument isn't that far from the truth. Uh, mm-hmm. As a lot of people would point out, and it's something he had said before. Like you know, it's yeah, yeah. And he took it. He took a gamble here of just putting that idea in front of a slightly new audience. Mm-hmm. Um, unfortunately, <laughs> he 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 succeeded with the slightly new audience. You know, much uh-huh. more broadly than he meant to, and it mm-hmm. went viral and got on TV. Got him on TV actually. Mm-hmm. Um, anyways, yeah. yeah, it's it's you. You don't get the one without the other, though. You have been listening to Priority. Once again, for complete show notes, or if you'd like to send us feedback via email or subscribe to the show, visit us on the web at priority.fm. If you enjoyed the program today, 
please go to iTunes and leave us a positive rating and review, as that will help new listeners find the show. Also, if you're interested in getting updates or communicating with us via tweets, follow us on Twitter, where we are at PriorityFM. That's at P-R-I-O-R-I-T-Y-F-M. Thanks again for listening. Yeah, no, I, I was just going to say, I like the, the language you brought to that. You get the opportunity um, to do something cool. Um, it's just like that Dostoevsky novel, right? Opportunity and Consequence? Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, that one. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Or was that Lincoln? That might have been Lincoln. Mm, His side project. I think he said that at Gettysburg. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Was that was that Madeline, Madeline Langle? Langle? Lingle? Like Pringle with an L? Yeah, yeah, she wrote the Narnia books. Mm-hmm, yep, yep. Uh, the Lion, the Witch, and the Lawnmower. Oh, I need to mow the lawn. <laughs>